0: September 30th is Orange Shirt Day. Now also known as National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, it's when Canadians honor the Indigenous children whose lives were lost at residential schools and those who survived. So this week I'm handing the mic over for a special episode of our leadership series. Our guest today is Phyllis Webstad, whose own experience at a residential school was actually the foundation for Orange Shirt Day. She's also an accomplished Northern Shawetmuck author. The latest work is a children's book called Every Child Matters, which Scotiabank is proudly gifting to Indigenous schools and educators across the country. Hosting the conversation is Sloan Muldoon. Sloan is the Senior Vice President of Global HR Services at Scotiabank. The conversation was recorded as part of a webcast just after the launch of Phyllis's new book. Sloan and Phyllis talk about that new book, the changes Phyllis has seen and how Canadians approach reconciliation in the decades since Orange Shirt Day began. She also opens up about her own journey towards healing, and much more. Before we begin, just a quick warning that this episode contains accounts of the violence that occurred at residential schools. I'm Stephen Maurice, and this is Perspectives. Now, here's Sloan Muldoon in conversation with Phyllis Webstad.
1: Phyllis, you have an incredible personal history that has had a profound impact on how we recognize reconciliation in Canada through Orange Shirt Day. Welcome, Phyllis.
2: Hello to everyone, and thank you for having me.
1: So, Phyllis, this has been a big week for you, having just launched your new book, Every Child Matters. And it's truly a story that honors the history and resiliency of Indigenous peoples. How does it feel to have a story particularly one that is so personal, made available in such a public
2: way? It's uh, surreal. It's amazing. And I'm excited that it's finally out there. I have some advanced copies that I've been giving away to people when I meet them, but to actually have the book in my hand and be able to look at all the months and months of planning and organizing and editing and rewriting and rethinking and it's just amazing to finally have it in hand and ready and I have uh, books called Orange Shirt Day, Phyllis's Orange Shirt, and uh, Every Child Matters is our slogan or our saying that goes along with Orange Shirt Day. And I've always wanted to have a book called Every Child Matters to explain what is meant behind that, because you see it all over the place, all over the world, really.
1: Well, congratulations and many emotions, I'm, I'm sure, Phyllis. So you've been really open about your story as a survivor of the residential school system. Can you talk about the role that you hope this book will play in the journey of healing for other survivors, their families and communities?
2: Yes, uh, that's so important. Orange Shirt Day was created to have conversation originally just once a year, but it's turned into more than that. Uh, to have conversation and to honour survivors and their families and to remember those that never made it home. So my new book, Every Child Matters, uh, is a part of the whole Orange Shirt movement to create conversation. And with conversation comes healing. We cannot heal from something that we do not talk about. For instance, uh, my mother like even in our own family we we talk about it more now but 10 years ago it was almost non-existent to talk about experience at residential school and my mother did not know that i went to residential school until 2007. so that uh, goes to show about how important it is to talk about what happened and to feel what happened. And with that comes healing. But there's also some that will never and have never talked about their experience. It's too painful. Like my grandmother, she talked about things she did and where they went or maybe think um, activities and happenings with other students, but she never talked about feelings how she felt to be there. And um, yeah, so this book, my hope is that it will help like Orange Shirt Day to open the conversation about all aspects of residential school.
1: Now you talk about Orange Shirt Day, which you founded in 2013. So in those 10 years, have you seen changes in how Canadians view the history?
2: of residential schools and reconciliation? Yes, most definitely. From the very first year in 2013, Orange Shirt Day has gone viral. It's like it's been divinely guided, something the creator, the ancestors, and I know the children are behind this whole Orange Shirt movement. And in the early days when my book came out in 2018, I went on a book tour mainly with elementary and high schools because that was the motivation for that book. I was being asked to go into schools and it's hard to just stand there being just me. So I thought if I have a book, I can show them pictures and I could tell them the story that way, which really helped. And then it's changed over the last few years from elementary and high schools and more corporate are contacting the Orange Shirt Society and myself and wanting presentations as well as government and colleges and universities and I really believe the children are teaching going home and talking about what they're learning at the kitchen table and so more adults are are learning about what happened.
1: It's amazing, Phyllis. And you know, your latest book, Every Child Matters, it is a children's story and it's beautifully illustrated by Carlene Harvey. And so you talked a little bit about why it's important to include children in this education and ensure they're part of the reconciliation journey. Can you just expand on that a bit? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I always go back to my own personal life story. I have five grandchildren. They are the first generation in five to be raised by their mother and their father. So what a change they're going to make in this world. My grandchildren are my future, my for the generations to come. And it'll be them along with their peers that they go to school with and live with in this world that will be the change makers they'll be the next doctors and lawyers and policemen and bankers and they will grow up knowing what happened at these so-called schools and the impact that it's had on the future generations impacts that we feel even today in 2023 And I believe only then can change happen because if someone doesn't care, they're not going to make that effort to learn or to uh, be a part of change. So I'm really happy that my grandchildren are learning the history. I talk to them at every opportunity that we can to teach them about their history, which is something that I didn't have growing up. Uh, Not a lot was talked about. We were in survival mode and we still are in ways, but now I've learned and I've learned the importance of talking about what happened.
1: Thank you for sharing that. And you must be very proud of your grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Yes, very proud. Now, Phyllis, I had the opportunity to read the book myself over the weekend and and again last night. And it's a very powerful story, and it seems to transcend the ages. So given that many of us, myself included, are still learning the true history of Canada, do you anticipate that the book carries a message that will resonate with more than children?
2: Yes. Anything to do with the whole Orange Shirt movement from the very beginning, no matter what it is, me telling my story or the books and uh, even my, my first book was used in college because there wasn't a lot of curriculum and that's changing over the years. And when I speak corporately, sometimes they purchase books for their staff and just can't go wrong, I guess, even with children's books for adults because this wasn't talked about when I was in high school and others that have told me their story, non-Indigenous people who have their PhDs and they didn't learn this, maybe a a chapter in a book during their entire time. So this is uh, new for me as well, for Indigenous people to be talking about what happened. And it's also new for non-Indigenous in the world to be learning the history and what happened to us and the impacts. Would you be
1: open to sharing an excerpt from your book with the webcast?
2: Yes. I um, chose page 18 and 19 and then one other. When I arrived, my special shirt was taken and never returned to me. My hair was cut. I could not live with my family. I felt alone and confused. I felt unloved and uncared for. No one explained why I could not go home. It was a very difficult time. I felt like I did not matter. And that is the essence of Every Child Matters. So when I was at the mission, the St. Joseph Indian Residential School, I, five and six year olds should not be comforting each other and that's what was happening. And we could be sick, we could be lonely, hungry, sad, crying, but we only had each other to comfort us, there weren't, adults to come and uh, tell us that it would be better. And I've done a lot of uh, therapy over the years. And one thing that I did while I was there it's to my healing journey, and one of them is disassociation, where the, where the physical body is in a situation that it doesn't like. Uh, as I was being held captive in this place, not able to go home. So my spirit would leave and I could go somewhere where I felt comfort and that was home to granny. And so that's something that I learned and even today can do uh, disassociate. And in the book here is also um, uh, a couple of dark pages. And for the children who didn't come home, you matter. And just down the road from me, from where I am, at our office here is the mission. It's about three minutes and uh, there are uh, graves of children that um, will be... uh, excavated and repatriated at some point down the road. So uh, Every Child Matters includes those children that never came home. And survivors were children when they were at these so-called schools and they're adults now and elders and they matter, uh, which is all in the book on different pages.
1: Thanks, Phyllis, for sharing your very personal story. So Phyllis... Former Senator Murray Sinclair has famously said, truth before reconciliation. Can you explain what that means to everyone and why it's so important?
2: Yes. And it's um, when asking a question, one must be prepared to receive the truth. And um, the truth is not yet fully told. And uh, truth comes before reconciliation. In my presentations, I talk about this and how there are brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles that have family members who never came home. People alive today have siblings and family that never came home. And I could have been one of those, saying I had an aunt or an uncle that never came home. But thankfully, we are fortunate. And I am i always give thanks that all of Granny's children, as well as herself, made it. That's why we call ourselves survivors. We survived and some did not. And... One of the harsh truths, there are women alive today to tell their truths about how they were impregnated by priests and brothers and maybe sometimes the older boys. And their child was killed and incinerated. These children will never be a part of the official count. And even some of the children that were killed, older children, were incinerated. So they will never be a part of the official count. Only if their families come forward and there's some kind of documentation. So this is genocide and what we deal with as Indigenous people on a daily basis, and we're talking, excavating, and repatriating. It's gonna get even harder. I'm three minutes from where there's bodies outside of the um, grounds, and our way as people is to be there for others when they lose loved ones. It's my responsibility to be there for those families when they are bringing their loved ones home, if that's what ends up happening. And I really believe that is coming. And this is going to happen all across Canada. So for those people that are non-believers, that uh, don't believe that this is true, we as Indigenous people have enough to deal with so I believe it is up to non-Indigenous people to deal with the non-believers. And there's a special interlocutor report on what I'm talking about that talks about this. And um, in that report, it talks about how uh, non-believers went into t- the Tecumloop site with shovels to dig up to try to find if it was true or not. So, yeah, so some don't believe the truth, but there's indigenous people that have lived and are still living the truth of what happened in their families. And truth comes before reconciliation, that's for sure.
1: Thanks, Phyllis, for sharing your personal lived experiences. Mm -hmm. So you transferred a very personal story from your heart to the pages in this book. What was that process like?
2: I, um, if I had set out to do this on purpose, if I had written a business plan and tried to get people to buy into what I was trying to do and, um... It wouldn't have worked. But everything that's happened in these 10 years has been divinely guided. So I believe the ancestors and the children are behind this. And for whatever reason, I've been chosen to do this. And there is a spiritual side to this whole story that I've held close to my heart. That I will tell at some point i'm working on an autobiography and i told the story to the national center for truth and reconciliation i said on the survivor circle and there will be a video about that vision that i received in the sweat house uh, when i had just started my healing journey and um the this page is what I seen in that sweat house and uh, so very quickly I started my healing journey in 1994 and in 97 my aunt Agnes Jack that raised me after she took me from granny when I was 10 she had a book called or has a book called Behind Closed Doors that's a Kamloops Indian Residential School stories and this was 97 when that book was released and um, they had a reunion on the Kamloops school grounds and I had just started my healing journey in 94 but they had a speaker Satsan Herb George that came and spoke and what he said was, I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what it was called and I didn't know what to do about it. And that was me, third-generation survivor. Nobody ever explained anything. And when he said that, I just started crying and I couldn't stop. And there's more to the story, but eventually I, um, ended up in a sweat house down by the the river, right there at the Kamloops Residential School. Uh, It's different than then in 97 than it is today. And um, the uh, counselor brought me inside the sweat house and I was still crying four hours later. And uh, yeah, my grandfather appeared to me in the sweat house. It was dark. This was the rocks and the fire and um in here was a uh you can see this is a skull we didn't put the skull in the book because it's for children but i seen this in a gift shop in kamloops and i picked it up and it's like when i have a hard time i hold it because that's my grandfather he was my daddy everybody called him daddy i didn't know who my father was and uh but he 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 was my daddy, and he passed on when I was about seven. But he spoke to me, and he talked to me. It was telepathic. And um, when he was talking to me, it was like this is so cool. I'm gonna remember what he's telling me. And I was still crying, and for you know how you get after hours of crying. As he's talking to me, I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, uh, okay, yeah. uh, uh." And but when it was done, all I remember was, You're on the right path. Keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, Really? Like that was so cool. And um, like I really wanted to remember what he was telling me. And um when I was looking in the dark, in the sweat house, at the rocks, if you've ever been in a sweat, and they put the sage on and then it was like dancing. And when he started talking, I remember thinking, why are all those children there? But then my logic Oh, they must be, you know, just all the ancestors or, the, you know, the children that passed on from years ago. Like, I didn't know about the children. Like, my, my aunt had kind of told me, but, you know, in my own healing journey, I was like fluffing my brain or something. But the, this was a to come loops. The children were right there, just like a, through a rock and they were right there. That's how close this happened, right by the water, right where the children are today, into Camp Loops. So I, w- I went to Queg territory recently, last couple of weeks, maybe a, well, maybe a month ago, and um, I was honoured by Grand Chief Ron Tremblay in New Brunswick and um, they were singing and he was smoking his pipe. And when he was done his ceremony, he asked a guy that was sitting in the circle off to the side to sing. He talked to him in the language to sing a song. And when they started singing that, like they had sung many songs and I just sat there and listened. And, but when they started singing this song, I started crying, not boohooing, but like, it affected me. It's like, I heard this song before. And I realized I heard it in the sweat house that day as my grandfather was talking to me. And when they finished singing that song, like my assistant is looking at me, like, you know, trying to pat my back. And um, I, uh, I asked Ron, Chief Ron, if I could, Say something. I asked them, "What is that song that you just sung?" And they talked in their language, and then he says, "The ancestor song." I was like, "Oh my goodness! Maliseetukwak territory is where residential schools started," and I learned that on my trip. I never knew that. I need to go back. To how the elders asked me to sweat with them. But we had our schedule set, so I couldn't. So I need to go back to do that, especially. And um, the guy that sung this song after I shared this whole story that I'm telling you, he called it a vision. And I've never heard it referred to as a vision. So um, I'm going to be talking about that more about the spiritual side. And I tell you, it's been. I don't swear very often, but damn hard to do. But I just, you know, I keep things close to me and to try to make the ancestors proud in the children. And um, one day there will be no survivors left in Canada. And it's a simple story, you know, that children can understand and adults. And it's a conversation starter, a door opener to other conversation and um, yeah, so that's the spiritual side, I didn't set out to tell you that, that's not in my notes, (laughs) but um, I'm not sure where to go with it from where it's at now, like I've told it to you, I've told told it to the National Centre and you're the second one to have the recording of the story. yeah, so we're we're at ten years, and um, one thing I really have been afraid of lately is having years of my life taken off because of what I'm doing. and um, I really need to learn more self-care. and uh, I'll be taking the next two weeks off and really trying not to um, to get called in <laughs> to do stuff. so um, Anyway, thank you for listening to that.
1: Well, Phyllis, thank you for sharing. You are making your ancestors, the survivors, the next generation very, very proud. And I thank you for sharing very deep personal experiences with the residential school system and your courage and your stewardship on the collective journey towards truth and reconciliation. Phyllis, I'm honoured to have
2: spent this time with you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to an interview with Phyllis Webstat, an author and the creator of Orange Shirt Day. She was speaking with Sloan Muldoon, the Senior Vice President of Global HR Services at Scotiabank. Perspectives podcast is made by me, Stephen Maurice, as well as Armina Lagaya and our producer, Andrew Norton. For a transcript of this episode, visit our website, scotiabank.com slash perspectives. We'll see you next time.